Hello, welcome to uh, the new episode of Growing Down. Um, today we are fortunate to have John Dupuis. Am I pronouncing that correct? Du Dupuis. Dupuis. Exactly. Um, I found John years ago. Um, his book, Integral Recovery, has helped me as an addiction counselor help identify what an integral uh, treatment plan looks like and has been, um, I, I can't tell you enough how much that book has influenced the direction I've gone in as a counselor. So I'm very um, pleased that you've agreed to be on our show. Uh, John, can you tell us, the listeners just a little bit about yourself? Well, I left home at the age of 14 <laughs> and it started there. No, I actually did, but I'm not going to get into that part. I am uh, the current roles. Um, I am the CEO of iWake Technologies, which is a really cutting edge brain entrainment um, uh, producing company. And we have fabulous people working with us. They're really gifted. And the whole idea is, is this brain entrainment technology fits within a, a beautifully within an integral practice. Okay. Doesn't do it all. You know, you still have to go to the gym and work out and do that stuff, but it really, really helps in, in, in all those particular lines. I'm also the author, as you mentioned, of Integral Recovery. Let's see, I have a book here. It's kind of backwards, but anyway. And um, yeah, it's a great book. I think I channeled it. Everyone said, I'll pick it up. I was in an office a while back and I, I wrote that? Good God. Yeah, so so I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but when you're um, you know, in a zone or you've had a great podcast or something like that, you just feel like something's come through you. And uh, that's just one of the best experiences uh, we can have as human beings. So uh, I, I worked for years in the field of addiction recovery and started some programs, wilderness programs, uh, to help people uh, suffering from the disease. And out of being dissatisfied with the current models, I was trying to put you know, a holistic approach. And at that point, I discovered Ken and uh, I knew Ken from graduate school uh, years before. By the way, I have an MA in uh, uh, transpersonal psychology. And I, I, I was familiar with his early work, really loved it. But then I discovered uh, the, the map, right? The aqua map. And it just like, budding immediately. Uh, I just saw it was like the Rosetta Stone for understanding addiction and treatment and all that. And I was actually sure that other people must be stumbled onto that. And uh, as Turned out there was an early paper before my book came out and there were three authors and I went back and I tried every trick I knew to try to find them. It was like they Scotty beamed them up. I uh, just could not get a hold of them. So I may not have been the first person to think of it in those terms, but I was pretty early on and it's kind of become the standard in uh, uh, integral um, recovery, if you will. And it's, to me, it's just, it's so intuitive, you know, it just, of course, of course. You know, why hadn't we figured this out before? And it's kind of when you when you get familiar with the aqua map, it just once you really get it, it changes everything. Uh, things aren't ever the same. So, and any more about me? I you know um, love playing the blues. I'm music. I'm songwriter. Uh, done about three albums over the years worth of uh, original material, and that's yeah. Awesome. And I've been so, in the integral world for, for quite a bit. I got there, uh, integral naked was still going on and, uh, the, the files were pretty, pretty shallow. And I, my first trip to Boulder, Colorado was when the whole huge scene was there and it was trip I got to see all that very interesting stuff. So it's been something I've been working with and, uh, laboring in for, for a while. Nice. 
Well, thank you for being on the show. Um, and in true growing down style, I think we're just going to riff on some ideas. We kind of toss some ideas around at the beginning. And one of them was trying to narrow in on the definition of what a progressive integralist is. Um, and I know for myself, um, you know, recently Jeff Salzman and um, Steve McIntosh, who we had on our show, um, did a did a show or a show on the term post progressive. Um, and I know I'm recently uh, reading a book by Rabbi Michael Lerner that introduces the term spiritual progressive. But for me, it's really trying to, and especially with integral politics, make sure you're addressing all the four quadrants. Yeah. And then how does that inform your opinion as a politician to make the most uh, correct response to perhaps um, what is needed in that moment? What, and, and politics can stretch over many different areas, one of them being addiction. And I think right. uh, being informed integrally is at least how I sort of see an integral progressive politician or if that if that's your view is that you can bring in the information from all the quadrants and then make the most most educated guess as far as how to help the most people within that framework yeah and and i've i've been reading hansi freinach and his stuff uh recently and yeah right on i just it's a very fresh uh breath of of what politics should be and my basic definition and like i said Corey, i was saying before the show started my friend Corey duvall who runs uh, Integral Life, um, mentioned the word Integral Progressive. And I just went, yes, I am too. And what that means to me is I, I just think there's no way there should be homeless people, hungry people, poor people, you know, people without health care, people without food, people without education, people without support. When we have it within our abilities to give that to all human beings, why the hell don't we do it? What is keeping us back? And of course, you're going to have to use the integral map to figure it out and do it in a way that's intelligent and, and, and right. But it's just like, huh? Are you kidding me? How can, how can we not uh, make the force of our, our, our governments uh, the happiness of all creatures, not just human beings, but all creatures? And that's a noble thing uh, to get fired up about and to work for. And I guess that's kind of my, you know, my, my definition, but I definitely have a lot of passion and a lot of heart behind it. So I appreciate what you guys are doing here. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons or sort of at the beginning of this podcast um, on Twitter, we, we uh, were friends with some people who identified as integralists and uh, we are all, we were all Bernie supporters um, and sort of questioned sort of how you could identify as an integralist, but not be behind ideas that like Medicare for all, for example, that, you know, for me, you know, you have a policy that, uh, brings in the basic moral intuition of how you can help the most people. And um, I think that was one of the, the seeds of this podcast, at least at the beginning, was sort of how integral can, how people that identify as integral can also see political problems from two different points of view. Yeah. So are, are you, were you uh, behind Bernie and his Medicare for all? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think it's a no brainer. I mean, right. of course, <laughs> you know, why don't we give infants the same care we give old people? Oh, and everybody in between. Well, because yeah. it's about making money. That's the only real e reason that you can argue against it, that healthcare is about a profit. And okay, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with profit within, you know, within the realms of sanity and morality, right? But it's not about that, right? The, the, uh, the purpose of the military is not to uh, make money for arms makers. 
it's to protect those who can't protect themselves. Anyway, you got me going, you pulled that string. So, um, yes, well, good. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I just think it's, 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 it's just an obvious, and, and whether it's just like Medicare, whatever system, but everybody, uh, birth to uh, pre-birth to grave, you know, should have the medical care that we need uh, to care for each other as human beings. And, and clean Queen Elizabeth gave a speech on, uh, uh, COVID catastrophe in England. And she says, I don't see empty streets. I see, see streets flowing with love and care for one another. I was like, why couldn't we have some leadership over here which say something like that? You know, it's like, anyway, don't get me started. Of course, maybe yeah. that's the idea to get me started. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, John, do you have a sort of a canned answer for a very large uh, sort of question? But um, I was wondering, what, what is your definition of addiction? Yeah, that, that's, yeah, I do have, uh, I don't know if it's canned answers, but I certainly, you know, can, can speak to that. It is a, um, a compulsive disorder that you cannot control or stop even when you know it's killing you, okay? And a lot of us, not everybody that uses drugs, uses or abuses drugs is an addict, okay? A lot of people, you know, you go through a certain stage in your life and, hey, and I'm drinking too much. It's getting in the way of my studies or my relationships or, you know, I'm not as fit as I want to be. And so you can, you can cut back or quit. That is not an option for an addict. And uh, they really can't do it by themselves. You know, uh, if you're just a problem drinker, yeah, you, you can tough it out and do this stuff. But addicts, it, 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 the, the addict self becomes this whole other personality and it just takes over and the real self just goes, uh, gets lost into it. And this addict, compulsive, sociopathic, lying, stealing, cheating, uh, excuse making, Oh, it's just this horrible thing. And if any of you have ever had friends that have um, been alcoholics or addicts and you see this, this uh, transformation in personality from, you know, a normal regular person to just a complete asshole, you know, that, that is working on some kind of very, I mean, working on the moral level of Trump or something. That's how bad it gets. Sorry. Sorry, Donald. But anyway, um, you know, that is, is that, does that help? The incapacity to stop, even when you know it's killing you, and yeah. and there's a the big denial thing. It t it takes a while to get to that point, because for a while you're just well, yeah, I can control it. Yeah, and yet I, I I got this, I got this, and got this, and toward and it's a progressive disease. Okay, it starts out here and it goes all the way to the end until it kills you, or might as well be dead. And in the in the beginning phases of it, you can there can be this denial system that works where you're really, you know, you're lying to everybody else to cover up whatever you're doing to get your drugs and being high all the time. And uh, at the end, that breaks down and you just, I just need drugs, man. And I'll do whatever I have to do to get it. And if there's somebody, some, you know, some that has some moral uh, structure that they're still in touch with at that time, they might suicide because, uh, you know, what you've become and what you're doing to others is just not acceptable. And there's, there's very little hope at that point. It certainly feels like you're, you're trapped. Yeah, I know uh, yesterday I, I participated a little bit in Jeremy's Gepser's class where they watched the, the movie Annihilation and, and the subject, uh, subject of self-destruction came up. And I think, you know, I was looking at some numbers today and especially with the opioid crisis. Um, and in, in 2018, just looking at some of the numbers of 
of deaths. Um, and I specifically kind of wanted to look at sort of the, the race angle on, on the opioid deaths. And in 2018, the numbers I found, I believe this from, was from the CDC, talked about um, whites, 35,000, blacks, 6,000, and Hispanic, 4,000. And I know it's a-, a well, I'm, What those numbers are, uh, 4,000 what? What's the- Deaths. Oh, deaths. And, and broken down by um, race. And what, what, how much a time period was that? And that was 2018. The whole year? I read it the other day, like 400,000 people OD'd in 2019, over 400,000. Yeah, um, yeah, I was just sort of breaking down the numbers, and, and, and at least that I could be wrong. I, and my, my main thing was kind of looking at, um, especially with self-destruction and stuff, and how it, it seems to be, I think, even in some areas that the life expectancy has lowered over the last few years. Got to be, yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess my angle on this was trying to look at it from a systematic point of view um, and, and trying to identify as a culture, um, what, what could we do? Um, and again, this is from an integral perspective uh, of what could we do to solve maybe some of the underlining issues that could be contributing to, to this sort of increase in self-destruction? Well, just very broadly is we need to live in a culture and a civilization where everyone feels honored and that you matter, you know, and that you're a part of it. You know, it's the isolation. You know, we, we've done some really good things. We've created a lot of material stuff and, and a lot of amazing things. In fact, we're talking now, right, on this technology. It's unbelievable. I have no idea how this is done, but I use it every day. And uh, 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 someone once said, I forget who it was, but he said, um, moral behavior is how you act when you belong, when you feel that you belong. So if you really love your family and respect your family and you go to a party and there's some lines or some weird shit there, you know, no, man, sorry, I, I can't do this because it's not about me. It's my family for crying out loud. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it'll just be a fun experience, but maybe it won't be. You know, because some of us can do it and, and walk away from it and, and a lot of us can't, you know, hence, hence addiction. So, um, uh, yeah, hi, Matt, you disappeared. So um, I, I forget what I was answering the question. Oh, what, what would we do? And I said, yes, have a have a uh, and, and one of the one of the things that I, I write about in my book, and it's been one of the main major things that I've been working on in my life and with others over the last decade or so, uh, is integral practice. And, uh, you know, when I, uh, for about eight years, I had my house in Utah, this old Victorian house full of addicts, and they just lived, it was a treatment center, you know, we just lived and breathed and, and, and did all this stuff together. And one of the things that was very clear to me, because when I was working the families also via phone or, or the internet, um, I would get them doing the exact same practices that the students were, you know, and, uh, and I told the students, newsflash, this integral practice, you know, the body, the mind, uh, the emotional shadow and the spiritual practices that we're doing here is not just for you guys. You guys are just lucky because you're the squeaky wheels, you know, but everybody needs this. And so you guys stick with this and you're going to be the leaders, you know, and, and addicts often, and, and it's probably confirmed by, by a lot of our experiences are just the most sensitive, the best, the most intelligent, the creative, you know, they're not, they're not our awfulest people. They're often just 
precious, precious souls have got caught up in this. And it's such a tragedy to lose that kind of contribution and talent and, and all that we get from them. So, yeah, so I, I think that, that getting the idea of integral practice built into our culture, you know, age appropriate. And one of the, the huge things that, that integral brings to the scene is the developmental stuff. Okay. Once you kind of get the developmental stuff, it's like, uh, and spiral dynamics is great and Ken ran with it, you know, and there's different models out there, but just that idea that we all start at stage one and we work up to the highest levels that we're capable of. And if we, if we engage in an ongoing transformational practice, it's pretty good. A lot of us can get up there to these, these, these levels where there's, you know, there's greater wisdom, greater compassion, greater capacity to take other, uh, other perspectives and judge intelligently between those perspectives, like as Ken says, not all perspectives are the same, but if we could, we could begin that, that, e you know, each child knows that they matter, they're loved. Okay. And that they have a, um, something to do in their life. That's important. And you're on the road to find out, you know, and this is how you do it. And this is how you prepare yourself to, to become the person that you were born to be. So we want you to be the butterfly and not die a caterpillar. And the way that we found that we can actually take charge and responsibility of our evolution is through integral practice. And that's a very positive, exciting story. And of course the practice keeps evolving and changing as we go through different, you know, the, a three-year-old is not gonna be the same as an 83-year-old. It's gonna, obviously it's gonna be different practices, but it's something that even in the hardest, darkest times is something that we can hang on to and something that, that gives us hope and, and resilience. And, you know, because I have, a, uh, I have a way through my many years of this uh, inner meditation and inner prayer. And I kind of, I, th I think meditation is a preparation for prayer. In other words, when you actually get down into that, um, uh, that deep place, then you can experience the presence of God. And, and I'm comfortable with that word after many years of struggling with it. And uh, so you, you can get in touch with this higher source, with this uh, wisdom and learning. And, and, but before that, if you're just randomly out there trying to, you know, watch Fox News and, and make a philosophy for what matters in life, and uh, why not get fucked up? You know, that, that's, that's pretty, uh, you know, why not just have some fun? And this seems to be a really, you know, fast way to have fun really quickly, you know, and it is stuff really works. However, it only works for a while and then it creates a, a much greater hell than you ever bargained for. Oh. Yeah. I, one of the, again, I think I mentioned it earlier, I'm reading revolutionary love by uh, Rabbi Michael Learn. So a lot of his yeah, ideas are I'm sort of are in my head right now. And he was talking a little bit about how he's been part of movements of the left where people in the left have sort of sabotaged some of the um, sort of areas they were working on because they weren't sort of fully dealing with all the stuff that they had going on for them. And what I've noticed a lot, I think even in our Discord channel and, um, and sort of other sort of in integral folks, the... I'm not sure if the upper right sort of neglected, but I really like this idea of your, the integral life practice. And I, I think you talked about the integral transformative practice also in your book. Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, what, and I guess, you know, and from a political perspective, um, I, I really think obviously people have to get their own shit in line before they can start helping others. Right. It would help. 
<laughs> yeah. So how, how do you go about, and I know Jeremy and Ryan and I have had some debates about the developmental theorists. I know some people has, have identified as, as sort of an elitist perspective. What's your angle on that? Well, I'll forgive me if I quote Ken again, but I think this was in a conversation on the phone I had with him one time. And uh, they were talking, well, is this elitist? And he said, bet your ass, but it's an elitism to which everyone is invited. You get to choose to be the elite version of yourself or not. So take responsibility and stop whining. Okay. And, you know, we'll, we'll try to support each other on this task. But yeah, it is elite because very few people in any field achieve greatness, you know, and the ones that have that, you know, the eye of the tiger, the commitment, the, the courageous grittiness, you know, get there. And those who don't, well, sorry, you, you know, but you could do it if you wanted to. And you've got a lot of great excuses, but everybody does. So choose to do the work necessary to become what you can be. So yeah, it's elitist, but in a good way, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's sort of my angle too. And in a sense of if it is the most elitist perspective, it's also the most inclusive. So to me, there's a contradiction of definitions there because it's not like you're, you're saying this doesn't belong to everyone. If you, the more you climb the ladder, the, the less you, you know, identify with your ego and hopefully you have more compassion and care for others so if that's i guess an elitist perspective then you know at least that's my right and, and that's of course that's that's the problem you get with this new these people that are calling themselves progressives you know at the university that ken wrote about in boomeritis many years ago when i hadn't even heard of that like what is he talking about this crazy funny wild book and I, but it was a very important book to me because in the index he gave a, a conversation of the characters in the book and they were talking about their reactions to 9-11 from all the different levels. When I read that, something just snapped. And I was like, oh, yes. You know, I can start to understand the world. So, um, yeah, I'll let you go on. So I want to bring it back to, uh, before we started talking about developmentalism, to a few things. Because, I, you know, one of the questions that comes up quite a bit in this uh, theme of how do we deal with uh, mental health in a society culturally, uh, lower left and ideologically, which is very aggressively alienating, right? And this is something that Mark Fisher, I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Fisher's work, but he's written quite a bit about depression and capitalism. Um, but he makes the argument for why mental health is a political issue and where he says, um, I'll just kind of read Megan Day's uh, synopsis of, of, his, uh, of his take and then we can kind of riff on that. But uh, in the privatization, privatization of stress, the erosion of job security coupled with punitive and hyper-extractive management techniques uh, put working people on the edge. It is hardly surprising that people who live in such conditions where their hours and pay can always be increased or decreased and their terms of employment are extremely tenuous should experience anxiety, depression, and hopelessness. And he goes on to talk about that quite a bit, but we mentioned the opioid crisis and I can't help but think about the Sackler family. Uh, who were responsible for that with uh, Purdue Pharma, we have to remember like these guys were responsible for, you know, at least 200,000 deaths, right? And they made a lot of money. And I know they went bankrupt in the fall of last year due to the, the wave of lawsuits against them. But we have to think about this as sort of an extractive economic uh, uh, policy and a c culture that allowed that to occur, right? So uh, the lower left, I think, you know, as important as having an individual practice and being like 
well suited to deal with a sick society. The question that looms larger is how do we deal with a society that is engendering illness and mental health issues and alienation, et cetera. And of course, it links the political to the mental uh, mental issues to the uh, sociological issues and economic ones. So I kind of see these integrally as all together, but it does raise this difficult question of like, what do we do, right? Like, of course, society should be better. Of course, it shouldn't be so alienating. But the more, uh, or or putting it, putting it this way, if we don't tackle these socioeconomic pressures, how are we going to actually resolve this or remediate this, you know, in the structural sense. Well, you know, just getting back to the four quadrants, and I assume most people are intricalists here, but, you know, the four quadrants are. Um, Yeah, you can't just attack uh, the problem in one quadrant. You know, it's like like welfare. You throw checks to poor people. It doesn't work. It's not that you shouldn't be doing it. It's just not enough. You know, yes, they need money. Yes, they need to be able to go sort of everybody. I think everybody should have a minimum so they can work, they can live a, a you know, a, a dignified life. You know, that's me. But uh, if you don't, you just can't, you have to attach all four quadrants. You have to, to, to work on the interior, uh, interior spaces too. And there you go with meditation. And that's why I've been so passionate about uh, our company, iWake Technologies, because it, most of us, or many of us, me personally, I'll make it a nice statement, had a hard time uh, engaging in meditation for many years because traditional meditation uh, just didn't work fast enough for my oh-so-needy needs, right? And, uh, and I had been involved in a religious cult conversation for another time when I was a teenager. And so I wasn't ready for an ashram or a guru, thank you very much, been there, done that. And uh, so I struggled and I knew, I knew it was important but it wasn't until I, I discovered this technology and that really democratizes the ability to for deep transformative interior practice, makes it much more effective and much more available to us who are willing to do it. And I think it, when we engage in that, when it, it becomes like, for example, working out, not everybody works out, but I think most people know they would be better if they did. You know, uh, most people know that smoking is really not good. And uh, a lot, of, I think that the levels of, uh, of course, it's a really hard addiction to overcome, but people know that I think when we start to, to build a culture and an understanding that interior work is essential, it's not everything, but it's essential. So if we're going we're gonna to approach the problems that Mark Fisher is addressing, and rightly so, then we have to in, in, focus on people's own interior uh, health and their, their personal lives, their, their, their spirituality, their emotional strength, their their uh, sense that they're here to do something, though they may have not found it. Uh, when I was a young man, I always tried to read the good books and 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 talk to smart people and ask questions and shut up. Because my idea was, I don't know what I'm going to do. I may not have anything important to do, but my number's ever called. You know, I want to be ready. So so prepare yourself, you know, whether it's your... Uh, you know, you know, how you party or not party or you know, the schools you go to, the books you read, the company you keep, knowing that you're, you, you have to take care of yourself so you can be the best version of yourself because ultimately that's the gift you have to give back to life. And ultimately true happiness comes when we find that and we do that. I think this is a great segue to something we often talk a lot about on this show which is how the left needs to integrate some notions of interior development, uh, yeah. ethical character oh. development. And, and if we have, as long as that void 
of interior conversation exists, it can be filled with not so healthy forms of it, right? Or people who are looking for meaning and purpose and um, some kind of inspirational ideal that they can, that can kind of galvanize their spirits. It can turn into, it can be hijacked by unhealthy forms of right-wing fundamentalism or fascism or whatever. Right. And so one thing that I really liked about your book is you talked about the importance of ethics and including the ethical line of development, which is something I'm a huge fan of because I feel like ethics is kind of like not looked at as something very sexy and it's kind of swept under the rug in a lot of modern spiritual conversations. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is how do you think as a culture, we can talk about the importance of ethics as it relates to our own selves and, and our lives and empowering ourselves, but do it in a way that doesn't lead to this kind of judgmental attitude of oh, you're a drug addict, you know, it's a moral failing, or maybe you should therefore be in jail, or you're in poverty, or you're homeless, it's your fault, right? So how can we, how can we talk about ethics in an empowering way without leading it, um, having that lead to blaming the victim or other kinds of kind of judgmental attitudes? Yeah, addiction is not a more, more failing, or maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there is some responsibility. Nobody made you drink that drink. Maybe they did if they didn't, you know, but it, in and itself, it seems to be genetic, and a lot of us have it, but it's not, it's a, it's not a moral, moral failing in itself, but it causes you to morally fail and to do acts that you otherwise wouldn't do. So uh, addicts aren't completely off the hook, you know. They do have the responsibility to say, I'm fucked and I need help. You know, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to try to be, you know, not my big conflated, you know, addict self-ego, you know, and not all addicts like that. Some addicts are absolutely just already crushed, you know. They're not... You know, they're not tripping on their egos and stuff like that. I think 12 Steps was largely uh, written for white men who are of the ego inflation variety, you know, and you and you get a little, uh, you know, a crack whore off the streets, and, you know, and she didn't have any ego left. You know, you don't need to beat her over the head. Of, don't think you're so special. <laughs> I mean, she knows it. She needs to be the mirror held up so she can learn she is special and she is cared for and she is loved and she does have a purpose. So, and, and I, I think... Um, you know, getting back to the developmental thing, the thing that we're supposed to take on at second tier is kind of this pastoral attitude to the, uh, the, the prior levels. And all of them have <clears throat> healthy ethical codes that could apply to where they're at. So we need to, to be able to language that in languages they can, they can get. So, you know, we have all this, you know, this great post-postmodern stuff that we're doing you know, and, and we've been all putting together on this very special thing, by the way. I mean, I think we're really a special part of history that those of us are working on. This is a big deal that's going on, but you have to language it in, in ways that, uh, that they can hear and language it in ways that makes it possible for them to keep evolving and progressing to the next stage of, of their moral development. So it has to be the ethics and uh, we can talk about just pure ethics, what we'd like to see as intricless, but then we have to talk about it in ways that the majority of the people are going to be able to hear it, understand it and do it. Do you think you can give an example of that? Cause we, we've talked about translating across value spheres as a very important kind of political practice in this time of polarization and even yeah. as a strategy, you know, if someone's going to run for office, right? So can you give an example of identifying someone's kind of moral center of gravity or value cluster than speaking to that directly in a way that that can resonate with them? Yeah. Yeah. Let's try that. Uh, like I went through a, um, a evangelical fundamentalist Christian stage uh, when I was a young man, teenager. 
and uh, you know, I memorized lots of scripture, King James Version, and you know, I really got on the inside. I understood what that born again experience was, and what you know, loving Jesus and God, and and I still bring forward a lot of that, you know, that that second person relationship with Spirit in my own practice today. Obviously, I've let I've let you know go a lot of that stuff, but a lot of it's still vital with me. So I can speak to people on that sincerely, and when I'm talking to them, I speak in the language of faith, like Amen and God bless you. You know, I don't know. Let's pray about it. You know, <laughs> it's like that. And if you were trying to get people to behave uh, more wisely and environmentally, you know, you can just talk about, you know, and quote some verses from scripture about, you know, the creation and, and being gifted this and, and all the beauty and all these things that God has given us, you know, and, and uh, you know, the judge is going to come back and how have we left his creation? Have we trashed it? Or he said, oh, Lord, we made it even more beautiful you know, than it was. And so, so brothers and sisters, we really, you know, this hurts the heart of God. And, and we need to wake up and, and bless all his creatures and be responsible stewards for all this beauty and all this goodness we begin. So let's get together and pray about it and see what we can do to do a better job. And people go, okay, amen, brother, and they'll pray. And, and they'll try to do a better job. So, uh, you know, uh, would you get into orange modernity? You know, you have to show them that environmental stuff is going to help them make money and be successful and blah, blah. You know, and they go, oh, yeah, really? Show them the numbers, right? So each level has its own, uh, you know, and for the earlier, for red, you know, it's just like, hey, you know, nature in the woods is where we get our strength. You know, that's where we become men. That's where we, you know, we get in trust with the gods. So we need to be warriors and protectors of this land. And not defile it, you know, because the gods are going to get pissed or something like that. I'm just making this up as I go. But, uh, you know, in that way, and of course, green, when you're talking about environment, you're, you know, you preach it to the choir, you know, they really deeply, deely get it in, in a real, um, in a, in a real uh, kinesthetic way. I, I would distinguish that from what's going on in universities now with this postmodern craziness you know, that everything is cultural and blah, blah, blah. Yes, and everything is culturally influenced, but it's not completely. That's so partial. There's other things, you know, uh, going on, you know, and if you don't believe me, just pump yourself up with a lot of testosterone and see how you start acting. You know, you don't believe me, then pump yourself later on with a bunch of estrogen and see what happens. This stuff is biologically and culturally influenced. And uh, anyway, the, I, I think that the postmodernism really hurts me, hits at home because I've identified myself as a progressive and seeing progressives being acting like Nazis and, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're watermelon like green on the outside and red on the inside. It's, it really hurts me because, you know, they're, they're making all the, all the garbage from Fox and news and that make they're such easy targets to discredit all the good things that the progressive impulse wants to do in the world. And, and I, I definitely think that, uh, that kind of postmodern is very dogmatic and they certainly lost touch with, with the mystical or the spiritual. Okay. Because I don't think uh, uh, that kind of rigid, hateful, uh, judgmental, whatever that thing is survives very well in, in the practice of depth and what we, what we run into when we're uh, deeply inside of our interiors. Uh, so they need to start meditating and praying, you know, just get together because you're hurting the cause, you know, and we are different. I'm, I'm not, not a man. It's not the same as a woman, you know, and I know we're all, uh, you know, there's, there's 
you know, from heterosexual to homosexual over here. And there's kind of this, this line that we're all on and some of us are in the middle and this and that and some it's the other way. But, you know, it's like, yeah, but it's okay to be hetero, by the way. You know, God doesn't hate you. <laughs> you know, it's okay to be a man. And, uh, uh, and men are different. You know, we have a different, we have a different thing that we're, we're here to do. And if you're perfectly balanced, you know, masculine, female, God bless you. Good. You know, but most of us aren't there, but it's okay to be a masculine man. As long as you're, you're, you know, a good man, you know, and, and I, we did an interview on a podcast that I was on and we're interviewing a woman who was uh, very feminist in her orientation. I am feminist in my orientation too. Uh, the early feminism. I don't, I don't know what this new stuff, I don't relate to it at all, but have women been oppressed and did a lot of bad things? Yes, of course. Do we need to clean that up? Yes. You know, do we need to behave better as men? Of course. You know, do we need to honor women? Yes. You know, do we need to be respectful? Yes. Do we need to ask permission? Of course. You know, I mean, all of that stuff's obvious. Um, so I don't know what the question was. Did I hit it anywhere in, in, in the field? Oh, yeah. How, how to talk to different levels. I'm sorry. I just clunk, clunk, clunk. Get it back. Whoa, awesome. Um, see, John, my question is, have you had people in your practice where they've had an allergy to integral? Uh, yeah, a lot of green people, you know, and of course I, I have these two greens, the greens that I grew up were, were, um, you know, tie dyed shirts and the grateful dead and hugging trees and smoking pot and just love, love, love. And you have this thing that, that grew up, uh, in, in academia that, it's identified as being at the same level, but it's something totally different. I think it's more of a regression to, uh, to red, but yes. Um, when I first had my born again, integral experience and you can kind of be annoying. I don't know if you guys experience this when you first get integral because you think everybody wants to hear about it and it's a solution to everything. Well, at least I was. And so I was, I was helping start a, uh, a wilderness program that was very green. And it was just emergent green. These guys were just getting green. I mean, the, the leadership circle. Uh, and they were just, and so I'd go out there and, you know, around the fire and, and talk about integral. And as soon as I started talking about levels of development, I said, like, uh, no likey. So I was like, okay, let's try this again. So I, I did it in circles of expanding compassion. And they totally got it. And I went, okay, yeah, cool. You know, that sounds really good. And that, that reflects my experience. So you just, yeah, and, and, and green, they're really against, yeah, so I, I probably get more pushback from green than any other level. And it's because of the hierarchy and it's because, you know, they, they don't like oppression, you know? I was like, well, I don't either, you know? But, but uh, the more of us get to these high levels, the higher level of oppression is gonna be because the oppression happens at lower levels. So we need to get into the best versions of ourselves, you know, however we can. Yeah, I wanted to bring up uh, tying it to this question of how do we link these upper left practices, right? Because I see these as simultaneously arising, right? We have mm -hmm. this question of, um, well, activists and progressives really need to work on themselves and bring, um, I don't know, just a, a less rigidified, less oppositional 
internal space to these larger social questions, right? It'd be great if they meditated. It'd be great if they did shadow work or some kind of therapeutic practice. It'd be great if, you know, the mediational spaces where these kinds of confrontations happen are facilitated in a more contemplative sense, right? Or something along those lines. These, these are things that even people on the left that I talk with, like uh, Michael Brooks talks about, just like, wouldn't it be fantastic if we are in a state of mind that we get through, you know, some kind of contemplative retreat. We're very open, we're very capable of listening to one another, very capable of empathizing. Be great. Um, but on the other hand, we have this question of how to link these two, the upper left and the lower left, or the individual therapeutic and uh, social remediation and social healing together. Because I'm just thinking of the, the book by James Hillman. We've had 100 years of psychotherapy and the world's still getting worse, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this question that like modalities have popped up everywhere. There's thousands of different modalities now. And yet the, the, the link between the individual and the social is still it's still missing, right? There's still this gap between these, all these wonderful practices and actually changing sociologically our culture to be more communal oriented, to be more um, oriented towards belonging, right? You mentioned meaning, feeling like we belong to our family or belong to a community might impact our decisions about um, you know, working with substances or working with them in unhealthy ways uh, through addiction. So yeah, th this question of like, we've had a hundred years of psychotherapy, the world's still getting worse. How do we link individual therapeutic modalities with the social? Because it seems like our culture is really good at keeping those divorced, right? It's really good at sort of sure. privatizing mental illness, like, like Mark Fisher talks about. So how do we link them together better? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, and, and mental health uh, care is usually just, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with people that are having real problems. So you're really trying to eliminate the symptoms, you know, through medication or this or that, you know, to stop the immediate pain, but you have to get back to the causal stuff. And um, I think uh, what makes uh, integral life practice or transformative practice or just integral practice is that uh, we know exactly what's to be done, the four, you know, four basic issues that we have to deal with. And it's done on a daily, real basis. It's not just, you know, I was at an integral talk by a pretty well-known integralist uh, who was talking about integral practice. And, and at the end of it all, I said, well, what is your practice? He said, well, at this integral level, just thinking about it becomes a practice. Uh, Oh God, you know, and that's, that's been, I mean, that's been the failings of, you know, the integral world. If we can't get our asses together and really gauge an integral practice, how do they expect anybody else to, you know? So we really need to, to clean up our own house. And then I think it will just be, uh, was it Heinze Freinach says, you know, it'll be more attractive. The model will go, yeah, you know, and, uh, and, you know, if you're talking to, to, you know, reds, it's like, they want to be strong warriors and everything. They understand, you know, your superhero powers, you know, you got to focus. I mean, you can talk about it in their own way. It's pretty easy with red and, and with blue. Uh, I mean, it's, Jesus talked all about interior prayer, you know, and going in the closet in secret and your father would see you openly and don't let anybody know you're praying, but go inside interior prayer meditation. It's all through the Bible and nobody talks about it, you know? And I went to a, a friend I rediscovered from my, my youth, uh, we got together and he goes to this big super uh, church, right? One of these things. 
you know, great performance, just professional and great speakers and everything. And then we went to the Bible class afterwards and they were all, you know, in the scripture and everything. I said, well, what about uh, deep interior prayer? And they just looked at me like, what? You know, like, huh? So, uh, you know, and, and I can, when you're getting that kind of time, you should be able to back it up with scripture. So no, Jesus said, do this. You know, when Jesus got sick of everybody, even the son of God had to get away from him. He'd go up on a mountain and pray by himself, you know, to get refilled, you know, and if God, if Jesus had to do that, how much more you and I, you know, if we're going to be the kind of people that we need to be. And so um, I think, I, I think it has to, first of all, and, and the, probably the answer is just have no clue, but what I would like to, to uh, say is that we have to really start doing it ourselves. And, uh, you know, the, the opening line to our fellow intricalists should be, hey, house practice? You know, what's going on? What are you learning? <laughs> and and, and how, how's it working for you? So, uh, you know, it's the old green thing, you become the change that you want to be. But eventually, you know, if you could get just start insinuating into the culture and perhaps the artists and the musicians and the screenwriters and the actors, you know, have to bring up this idea, you know, and there's all this, I mean, superheroes are big, you know, uh, we got the Disney channel and I mean, most of it just superhero stuff. So why is that so appealing? Well, because people want to be powerful and strong and fight for something that's right, you know, and, and be more than themselves. And there's a lot of, you know, they're kind of making fun of it all. Ha ha. But the, the real impulse is kind of a noble impulse. And what you don't want to do is just make it some kind of fantasy life. You live in your, your games or something like that. Yeah. I conquered the world three times over in, you know, magic sword or whatever the hell it is. Uh, no. And say, no, well, this is kind of needs to be, you need to, and there there's levels of life too, just like there's levels in games. And, but to become that person to discover your super, uh, powers and your abilities, which are way beyond what you think could be, then this is what we're going to have to do. And, and the, 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 the values of taking responsibility, I think that could hit across all developmental levels. You know, you talk about in this way is you know, everybody red. Okay. Responsibility, uh, blue, green, amber. Sorry if I get the colors mixed. Uh, it, it's all across the line. So to become the best person that you can be. And of course, why you're doing that, it's going to depend on what developmental level you are. And if you've got to be the best person to be at orange, it's going to be because you want to be a success, you know, and you want to make a lot of money and, you know, and nail this thing. Right. And if you, and as a, a conservative Christian, you want to, you want to be the best person you be so you can serve God and do God's will and become the person that, that the Lord wanted you to be, you know, and agreeing the same thing. How are we going to be, how are we going to have the power to change the world if we don't have, the power to change ourselves in a way that, that matters. So again, it gets back to, and, and starting to talk about it, start moving it. And you know, the whole hundredth monkey thing, I think uh, uh, in the beginning uh, doing kind of something revolutionary, like a daily integral practice is, is there's not a hell of a lot of support outside of integral circles. And even in integral circles, it was, it was a really good idea for most of us. Right. Uh, so you have to have, you have to be pretty heroic, you know, to do something that not everybody else is doing. Nobody in your house understands why you get up at five o'clock in the morning to sit there <clears throat> for hour or two or whatever it is, you know, and your, your dedication 
to going to the gym and working out or doing whatever your practices are and, uh, you know, all of this stuff. And, and uh, part of the practice is also reading, reading and, and listening to the right people. And that's why um, what you guys are doing is such a, is such an incredible good thing, you know, all over the world. I mean, dig the time we're living in, you know, these three brilliant young men with a vision and a dream have got together and, you know, are sharing this medicine with, with, you know, everyone. So it, it, it's really an extraordinary time, but we really have to, to start with ourselves. And then, you know, for example, when I was uh, living with addicts in my attic, um, we had a meditation room in my house and these guys are, you know, pretty hard cases. And we, you know, he put on the headphones. This was before I awake because I was using other technologies at the time, Holosync and other stuff. And they were just like, <laughs> lying all over the, the cushion, just just like a bunch of wiped out people with uh, headphones on. And we do that for an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, two hours. And by about a week or a week and a half, people would be sitting up and they would start honoring their experience. And they would be able to, I don't know, really quickly differentiate between religion which and God, which most people were pissed off with, the God of religion, rightly so and and spirituality and go no this is mine this is real you know and they saw how it was starting to to take them into their depth and they were starting to be able to begin to process their wounds and their hurts and get in touch touch with something that uh that was perhaps what they had been looking for you know when they were taking drugs and and uh, and again the integral model's got so much in it but the whole the difference between states and stages you know it's a huge thing to get you know and and in addiction, we're always um, chasing states, you know, and that first, you know, people talk about the first initial time when you did coke or, you know, your first injection of heroin or whatever it was, it's like, oh yeah. Well, that kind of goes for a while, but never quite as good as the first time. And then it goes down, then you keep chasing that state. You want to get back to it. And well, you know, it's like we did with LSD back in the sixties, you know, we have these experiences of, of unity and everything wow, I'm enlightened. Then you come down. Oh, I'm not enlightened. You know? And so, well, maybe if I just stay high all the time, then I'll just walk around enlightened all the time. Well, eh, that surely didn't work because we were confusing states and stages and these states are, or uh, are really good. And I'm, you know, I'm, um, I think it's a positive thing that psychedelics are back on the scene. You know, hopefully you guys, your generation can be a little smarter and learn from all the dumb things that we did and uh, use it in a responsible way. But that, that's uh, an incredibly good way because I think a lot of the, the worldviews, and, and I don't counsel this unless you're ready to do it because who's done psychedelics here? Yeah, uh, well, don't do it if you're not ready, you know, because it's serious stuff. But the, the, the understandings and the knowings and what we learn in these, these, these altered states really make, uh, they they just take our old ways of looking at things and our negative paradigms and just collapse them. And then we kind of have to start over and say, Oh God, given that now what, you know, it's, it's a wake up phase. And um, uh, yeah, I can say a lot about that, but, but you know, there, there's, I think to use psychedelics successfully, you need to go in with having an integral practice already in place and then, and, and, and follow up with, integral practice, which will help you assimilate and stabilize and really, and really, you know, profit from what you're learning. Because if it's just like 
you know, just this vision you get and then you forget about it. You, what's that mean? How do I get back there and all this stuff? You know, I mean, it's, it's problematic and can be actually be worse than if you never did it at all. So I, I, again, we get back to the integral model and we get back to the uh, integral practice. And if you know the integral model, it's, it helps you when you start, you know, going to these higher levels, you understand what's going on. Or if you're having, you know, moments of digression, which are really easy, you can go, okay, under stress, right? You can go back down, downstairs uh, to, to, the, to be able to objectify that in some sense and, and, and understand it uh, allows us to more skillfully uh, put this all together. So again, so we become the butterflies that we were meant to be. Mm. Yeah, I want to link this to... Um some of what you've been saying to a previous conversation we had with uh, Dr. Reverend Delman Coates um, and one of his points, which I think is kind of implicit in the integral model if we really kind of radically take what it's saying very seriously, which is the sense of the lower left and the upper left and the lower right, they're, they're all co-arising. We always talk about that tetra-arising, but sure. what would it mean to translate that into a kind of practice, right? Because Delman talks about the sense that individual salvation and we can understand that transpersonally we can understand that as as an ethical progression individual salvation is integrally linked to the community the communal salvation the practice of the communitas so I, I kind of see these as sort of wrapped up in each other in this question of how do we facilitate create and build a practice that is also sociological which is also communal, right? Like by developing myself, right? By working out these things in myself, I'm also working out things in the world and not seeing it as like, okay, doing it privately affects somehow magically in the world, right? But no, actually linking them together and cultivating values like mutual aid, right? Community-oriented practices, community values that are devalued in this kind of society. So I think what you're saying is, is, is true that if we really take this radically seriously, linking the individual with the communal in this integral way, then what we're going to be doing is is sort of being the antithesis or the supersession of a culture that is driven towards atomization and to live in the world that way um, could be quite a radical thing. But how do we do that? How do we achieve that, right, with, with our practices? Um, well, first of all, it's a very integral thing that you just said. In other words, I would, I would think, my suspicion is, is that people who are at the second tier of this integral level, uh, this just emerges in their practice. They really realize in an essential way you know, you, you're a particle and you're a wavicle. And my, I had a, I've been haunted by God. I've had spiritual experiences. Through, I think my first ones are 11 or 12. And, uh, but when I first started using uh, brain entrainment technology and I, you know, studied transpersonal psychology, experience with meditation, psychedelics and all this stuff. Uh, I started using in the, in the first two or three days, I had this huge, you know, class five uh, spiritual experience opening. And uh, Diane Hamilton said to me, you're not enlightened, John. It was just an opening. I said, fair enough. <laughs> I don't feel enlightened all the time for damn sure, but I had my moments. But anyway, what was really clear in this particular revelation is that, yes, also, I was one with everything. No doubt about it. It was there. It's like, oh, my God. But there was this little infinitesimal spark of, individual John 
and kind of the intuitive voice, and that really matters. The little self matters. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I started laughing, you know, because you mean the ego matters? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the ego is one of the most complex things that have ever come out of this crazy, beautiful, intelligent universe that we're a part of. And it was just like, it really helped me in my later work because I saw that that in in the West, if we're going to just get into this existential Freudian, you know, psychoanalysis and everything that really gets into the individual ego and dissects it and, and works with it and does all the stuff, that's really, really good. But if you don't have the transcendent, the big self as a part of it, it's just a dog chasing its tail. It doesn't get you there. And then the other hand, if you go to this, you know, just unitive consciousness and the ego is a lie, it doesn't exist. Well, your butt's going to get kicked by the ego. Every time you try to say it isn't real and you don't have to count for it, you don't have to take care of it, you don't have to clean it up, uh, it, it'll get you every time, you know. So this bring together, and this is, you know, this is one of the, you know, the pioneer moves of, of uh, transpersonal psychology movement, right, when it came out. Uh, Maslow, he said, humanism, humanistic psychology isn't quite enough. We need this other thing that brings it together. But there was a recognition, it was transpersonal, but it, as Ken always says, including the personal. So that that really, really has to be included. And I think we just realize that. And, and I think that gets back, Jeremy, to what you were saying. How do we make this, you know, this individual stuff as a part of a bigger thing, not in a la-di-da, you know, or, or you know, airy-fairy sort of way, but in a real way, I am working on, on this for all of us and and i don't have all the answers to these complexities i'm thinking i'm getting a big idea what it should be like everybody should be loved everybody matters everybody should be supported from pre-birth to birth all the way through whatever that looks like and put that all together but um uh it just it just becomes it just becomes uh a part of it and i think if you have good teachers you know, reminding us, hey, it's not just about you. I was doing a, uh, having conversation, an interview with a, a Zen master, and he talked about this Vietnamese uh, Zen master who came over in the early days, and he asked uh, one of the students, why are you meditating? And uh, this is not a Vietnamese accent, I'm just making this up. Um, he said, well, to get enlightened. Go, mm, not good. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if he asked the same student, another student in the room says, why do you meditate? He says, for all beings. Good, you know. So uh, I, I think it um, it it's important to have elders and teachers and fellow travelers and guides that inspire us, that call us out, that write inspiring books, right? You know, do inspiring podcasts that you know put it in our music, our art, our lives. Uh, because again, I think we 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 started out this conversation with a sense of isolation, you know, and how that, that ties into addiction and other harmful things that we do. We feel so bloody lonely, you know, and, uh, you know, I've been blessed for whatever stumbled onto all this stuff and good friends and the right books and the right people at the right times and all this stuff. But man, I almost didn't make it. You know, and when you're, when you're, you know, you think you're 19 years old and you just got out of high school and it's like, you know, Trump's on TV every day, you know, and just, oh, everybody's fighting each other in cat fight, dog fights in the American politics. And, you know, and it's just like, Jesus, again, it's like, why not get fucked up and feel good at least for a little while? 
you know? So again, that takes that, that lower left support, the we space that we support each other, you know, and, and inspire each other and call each other out and keep reminding us, you know, what, what we learn, you know, what we learn on the mountain, what we learn in these peak experiences our deep interior voices. How do we, how do we bring that back into the valley where we all live and practice it from day to day? Uh, I had a, 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 a student anyway, it was a, client or something years ago and he was really smart and uh uh very successful had all kinds of money and you know and so he ran through all my stuff yeah i got it got this, 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 this. and i uh, said so, all right i got that what else does it have to do okay well you need to stop being an asshole all right so i want you to go out today and when you go get gas just be really kind to that person you know and just be respectful. And they're like, you know, <laughs> I mean, and that's a practice too. And, and can we, can we, uh, you know, reach across the barriers of our differences, you know, and go beyond our tribalism to, to really, you know, love. And, you know, and I've, what I've tried to do, it helped a lot before this pandemic thing hit, but I was asking like Trump supporters, you know, what's up? What do you see in this guy? You know, in and, and a way that, that, and I wouldn't try to, aha, try to trump them, if you will, or try to make them wrong or give them some great answer why I thought they were saying stupid, but just to really listen to, you know, what is it, you know? And, and if, you, if you listen and you ask the right questions and they can tell that you're really interested, you know? Uh, you know, you're not, your eyes are blocked and, you know, you're computing all your ideas of why this is ridiculous, but just with an open heart, that can help, you know, that's a tool. John, are you familiar with the rat park experiment? I think so. Uh, remind me. So I, it, you know, they did the study early on where you had the single rat in the cage and you had the water laced with Coke and it just kept hitting it until it died. Yes, and yes absolutely. They did another experiment where they didn't isolate the rats and they had them in sort of a, they called it a rat park. So it was more of a so socially friendly environment to the rats and in this experiment the rats not to say they avoided the the coke water but they didn't they didn't die and they were they were able to sort of adjust better to that sort of substance in their environment because they are more connected with this the sort of the, the community yeah and i guess i see a lot of parallels especially when i'm working with youth in the community too of a lot of times I ask them, you know, a lot of them are so self-centered in the sense I'm, I'm here just to do me is their sort of common right. phrase to that and how to recognize that it's not all about you and that you are in a community and that you are connected with other people. And uh, I just wanted to see if you had a riff on that. Yeah, you know, well, I, I think the, I think that the, the, the rat thing is, is, is really good. And I think for for people who have a good support group and a community and people they love and families intact families and all this kind of stuff, uh, functional families, whether they're intact or not, are have much better chance of getting well in my experience because they have a support group and they have a reason to do it. You know, sometimes when you're getting ready to go through the hard work of recovery, if it's just about you and you really don't give a shit about you and anything else, it's a hard sell. I mean, not that it can't be done because you have to find, you have to start caring about yourself and caring about others, but it, you're, you're really at a deficit place. Um, and there was something else that you said, Matt, um, 
uh, followed up from the rat thing. Do you remember what that was? Um, just if there's a connection to, I mean, just to the community and the importance when you're doing a recovery plan of, of how to connect more with other people, if it is just all about you. Yeah, well, you know, I think, one, yeah, what brought up, and I think when you're working with young people or people in general, you can just say, you know, and I totally get that's where you're at right now, you know, but it don't always, won't always be that way. You know, some, someday you're going to get married, have a child, something's going to wake up and you realize, oh, now I know what Matt's talking about. So I'm just going to plant a seed with you, brother. So you just, you know, just know that. And, and maybe that's just where you're at. And that's okay. Be where you're at. Enjoy. Uh, try not to hurt yourself or others, but, you know, enjoy. But, that, it, you know, you're not at the top of the food chain here. You're, you're going to grow and things are going to shift. And just to be able to talk in those terms and remind people uh, how that goes is, huh, you know, get people thinking in the right directions. You know, I'm, I'm not an expert in, like, the psychological therapeutic modalities that are out there or social services, but I work – with the mediators and facilitators who are contracted by the Department of Human Services to facilitate family decision meetings. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, my computer froze. And um, there are a lot of uh, people who are in the meetings who are struggling with addiction, alcohol, drug problems, domestic violence, all the things you'd imagine, who therefore the government took away their kid, right? So yeah. they have to jump through these hoops to and go through all these court orders to get their kid back. And one of the things I've, in my opinion, is a problem is that our society and mainstream psychological and support systems that exist, whether it's through nonprofits that people go to or doctors or psychiatrists, is that we don't distinguish between waking up, growing up, and cleaning up. Yes. And so when when there needs to be when someone needs help growing up or waking up, it's all consolidated into cleaning up because that's all we kind of understand. Um, and that's just kind of an observation that I've had being in the field for the last ten months. Do you have any thoughts or comments on that? Well, I, I think it all follows from what you just said. Yeah, it's just, it's very partial and it's very limited. And uh, it's it's kind of what, you know, first tier uh, therapy or social work looks like, you know. And um, when, when you know, and, and I, was, I was always pretty good at, you know, giving the elevator, elevator aqua speech when I first started um, um, working with, with addicts in my home, you know, they, they sent me, uh, I lied. They sent me all their videos at the time. I said, great, these guys are gonna, you know, they'll just watch Ken and they'll get it. And they put on Ken and just their eyes crossed, right? And smoke came out of the air. They go, what? You know, okay. So let's see, <laughs> let's, um, 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 let's see if we can do this anyway. And one of my first groups, I was working with Marco Morelli. I don't know if you, uh, know him but he's a great great guy just a precious soul and uh really good intricate and worked with ken you know on a really close basis for years and so i i started having to teach the model myself you know and i'm with this guy that 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 had been with ken i got he must think i'm a complete moron you know he's been sitting with ken all these years and i, I look around is that okay you got it john you're doing good you're doing good so i learned that to um to make it understandable you know, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's intuitive, you know, none of this stuff is too complicated when you explain it. Like states, you talk, uh, man, I had no problem teaching states to addicts. Their lives have been about chasing states and they completely get it, you know, and, um, and in the book, and I talk about how, you know, uh, integral practice is evolutionary. You know, you 
consolidate what you've done, you clean up what you haven't done from the past, and you start moving up, hopefully, to these higher levels of your own being. Well, addiction is exact opposite, it's devolutionary. So you start out here, and pretty soon you're back to these really primitive, you know, asocial uh, morality where nothing matters, anything, not even yourself, it's all about the high, okay? And uh, when you, just to, I don't know, just to uh, inoculate people with these ideas that you have to take care of the interiors, that it is developmental and different people will speak from the levels they're at. And of course, the big thing that we all have to learn is you can't argue somebody out of their level, you know, unless they're just, they're already there and they just needed somebody to kind of confirm it, but you can't, you know, just go and beat somebody over the head and show them, you know, why science is really good if they're a pre-scientific level, you know. Um, it, it, it happens, the, the good idea, the, the, I mean, the, the, that we have eros, as Ken talks about, you know, this, this, this part of us that really does want to get better. And so if you provide the practices and the support and the education and all four quadrants, right, uh, we think and it seems to see that people will, will aspire to become better, to become better human beings and become more skillful. And, and uh, uh, but man, we, we have to, uh, we have to take care of it. And if not, we, we have a, a, a society of narcissism, right? What a bummer. It is such a drag, you know? Uh, uh, for example, our, our, our president, you know, the guy's an absolute narcissistic personality in a clinical sense, I would say, I would venture to say. I think I'd be supported by, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists and professionals on this, but it's all about him. You know, there's no empathy there. There's no any capacity to self-reflect. Like, oh, I might have fucked up. You know, I might have something wrong. Or maybe maybe my life's just been a bunch of bullshit and I've been doing the wrong. You know, that capacity to self-reflect. And if we don't take care of people, I don't know what happened to him in an early age, but these, you know, uh, these characterological disorders, such as a, a, a narcissistic personality disorder, man, it's hard. I don't think, you know, when I was in grad school, we were talking about personality disorders. It's not just neurosis, but it's these disorders, like being a sociopath or being a pedophile or, or being a narcissist. And I said, so what you're saying is you're permafucked. Professor said, well, it's not the way I put it, but yeah, that's about it. Like, oh, my God, you know. So, so it, it, again, it, it brings up, you know, to, to your uh, – comments earlier about the society, you really have to pay attention to the kids, you know, and we're, we're here now in Louisiana doing elder care for my wife's aging mother, but you know, she gets this government help. Why, why can't her children get it? You know, why can't it? What, what about teenagers? Don't they get our love and support? How does it feel to be a teenager with, uh, without any medical care? You know, it's like, well, I shouldn't, I'm young, so I shouldn't get sick. Odds are, yeah, you got better odds, but what does that feel like? You know, nobody gives a shit enough to invest any of our precious wealth in you, you know, in your physical health, not, not to mention your, your, your moral and spiritual and emotional health. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, the children, of course. And, uh, uh yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what, frankly, I don't know what to do with, uh, 
with people that have these characterological disorders. Um, you know, you, you definitely want pray to put for them. Yeah, pray for them and put them in a place where they, they, they can't hurt themselves. And hopefully maybe if they could just wrap their heads around it intellectually, you know, for example, if I were a pedophile, you know, well, I wouldn't be. I mean, maybe I would, maybe I would, I would lust after children, you know, want to have sex with children, but I would, I'd blow my head off before I touched one like that. You know, I, I mean, I, I just couldn't do it. But at, at that level of pathology, there's, there's no empathy. You know, you're not thinking of what you're doing to that child. It's just, again, it's narcissism. Hey, John, I had a question for you, sort of policy directed. Our um, nation, we have a history of, with, from prohibition to the war on drugs, of sort of making mood altering substances sort of a taboo subject. Um, are you familiar at all with the Portugal model? Uh, say more. Um, the, the Portugal model, I guess, right now is being touted, I think, from the United Nations. I know Andrew Yang was a support, uh, uh, supportive of it. It sort of has to do with the decriminalization of all hard drugs and, yeah. and having society be more responsive from a not taking it as a criminal issue and treating it as a mental health issue. And I was just wondering if you had a take on that. Yeah, uh, it's, I don't think there's any simple answer to that. You know, generally, I'm, I'm, I feel, you know, okay about pot being legal in, in uh, more places. Now, I think that the, the, uh, I don't know what the, you know, what's going to result of it, but it doesn't seem like things are getting worse. And uh, I think we've all learned that, that, uh, that plant has, has a lot of uh, good benefits that are really useful and, and a lot better than some of the medication that people are being prescribed. Um, so what do you do about the harder drugs? Yeah. I mean, should you, well, it's just a matter of, for example, meth, that's a big one. And I've been dealing with stuff along those lines recently. That's some vicious stuff, man. You know, I don't think there's any kind of good recreational uh, anything with that. I mean, yeah, it's recreational. You just want to go, go, you know. But, it, but God, it destroys people so quickly. And uh, uh, do you, you lock somebody up if they're a meth addict and, and has criminalized it? No. But is it okay? No. Do you go after those who are um, who are making the stuff and pushing the stuff? I mean, my God, shouldn't we? You know, so doesn't look good about it. You know, so I, I think it, when you try to lump all uh, substances that alter consciousness, you know, like in, in Denver now, um, mushrooms, uh, psilocybin mushrooms are not illegal. Yeah, I, I can live with that. I think that's I think that's probably a really good thing. I don't think you could take mushrooms and vote for Trump, you know, <laughs> not, not a heroic dose. I just don't think <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I mean, because in those, at least my experiences with those teachers, it's like, Hey man, narcissism is not the name of the game. You know, that goes away really, really quickly. So I, I think it would have to be probably taken on a substance by substance basis. And, uh, but we do have, a moral obligation to protect our children from poison, you know, and no reason a kid should be doing this stuff. And anybody's getting that to young people or anybody else for that matter needs to be taken out, you know, and put in a place where they can't hurt anybody anymore and, and into a better prison. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about, uh, if you're going to lock people up, they should be, you know, compassionate 
places, right? I mean, you know, realize that you're dealing with sociopaths and, and, and antisocial types, but um, anyway, it should be it should be better than it is in this country. And, and there's other countries that are doing it better um, that, that I, uh, anyway, that I think they're up to the right track. Yeah, and you shared earlier, you're reading Hansi, and I was just trying to, uh, what's your take on Hansi? Well, let's see, I, I'm, I got, uh, I'm through his second book, I'm into his second book. And um, yeah, after the first 40 pages, I totally got into it. I, I knew he was trying to deconstruct himself or something like the first 40 pages, try to be really obnoxious and say, you know, just piss everybody off. And I was like, okay, okay, I get, I get your point, stop it. Now, and when he actually started talking about it, I was, amen, brother. You know, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic and uh, uh, really intelligent. And uh, I'm doing some podcasts with Roger Walsh. And he said, you know, this is probably some of the works that gives us the most food for thought than anything he's read in quite a while. In fact, he turned me on to it. And uh, yeah, it's just like it started getting hope in the, uh, in the political field, if you will, that we could do better. There's good ideas out there, and there's some countries that are further along than us, right, uh, that, are, that are doing a better job. And, then, of course, you know, each level of development creates its own problems, right, that has to be transcended and fixed by the next one. But at least it's, it's at a higher level than, than what we're doing now. I would say Scandinavia, you know, is a good example of, of countries that are uh, uh, just, you know, right off the top that are doing, uh, doing a better job in so many ways. And uh, yeah, they don't have a lot of the problems that we have. They have new problems, new challenges, but they're they're not as bad. You know, it's 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 not it's not basic survival stuff that we haven't even figured out. You know, in this big, brilliant, rich, powerful country of ours. You know, awesome. And uh, this is just sort of a lightning round. Uh, what are your current thoughts on the Democratic Party? They're better than the Republicans. Yeah, that's about it. And, uh, you know, you could be a stupid moron and be better than our current stupid moron, you know? So this would be the best time in the world to be running for president, I think, because, you know, and, and this, this stuff about, you know, Biden's sexually assaulted this woman. And I think that's being kind of deconstructed now, you know, that, that probably that didn't happen, but it was like 27 to one go with the one instead of 27 reports. <laughs> all the reports are about Trump and all of his sexual assaults and everything. I, I'm being rather cynical. And um, I think the country was in a bet, bet, much better situation under Obama administration, which Biden was a part of. And I think Obama really took his position with gravitas, you know. He realized he had a historic role to play as a first uh, I don't know. He's half white. I don't know what point you turn white or black in our racist country, you know, <laughs> but everybody thought he's black. So um, uh, very intelligent, very articulate, uh, honest about his own struggles, you know, uh, with drugs when he was young and being this, you know, half and half in our culture. Yeah, I thought he was terrific. And uh, it's like during those times, I could just kind of rest and realize that there was an adult, you know, at driving the car and I could get, you know, do my work. And now it's just constant bombarded. And I don't think, you know, and there's some, there are some uh, good things to be saying about conservatism, right? 
what used to be conservative, personal responsibility. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, and it's all, it's all society or cultural completely. You have no responsibility or it's all responsibility and the culture has nothing. No, it's somewhere in the middle, folks. Both are right. Uh, but what we have now is not the Republican Party. It's the cult of Trump. It's a cult. Who's been in a cult before? I have. Yeah, I got cult door, baby. I, I get, oh, really? <laughs> and Integral's not a cult. Ken is such a lousy cult leader. He just doesn't have what it takes. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just, it's just, it's just a cult. He's the leader, and I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. Besides, he's a real bully, and he'll intimidate you, and they'll take away your money to run for office and you'll be defeated. So if you just read the bullet points every day and say, see Kyle, every time you want something, you'll be part of it, you know? But uh, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, such a, such a, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. I've come a long way since then. You've come a long way, baby, you know? So um, yeah, I think, I think uh, um, the Democrats right now are, are, are better, a lot better, remarkably better. It's not, oh, it's all the same thing. Oh, no, it's not all the same thing. You know, do I disagree with a lot of stuff? Sure, sure, but it's it's a collegial disagreement, you know. It's 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 okay. Did that, did that answer that question? Yeah, and my final question, John, if you had a magic wand and could change anything in our political system, government, what would you do? That's a really great question. Uh, could I do two things? You got the yeah. magic wand. You could do okay. as much as you want. Boom. I'd get rid of the Electoral College. It's ridiculous. I understand why they did it. <laughs> we keep on getting presidents or elected by a minority. What the hell good is that? You know? Um, and I would, I would, um, three things. It's my magic wand. I would uh, take care of the money thing. You know, everybody gets, you know, access a certain point and you have to say, you know, not just any schizophrenic who wants to scream on the television camera, but you know, if you get enough people to sign up for you or something like that. So the, the, the money that you're uh, able to receive would be very much controlled. Everybody would have to release all their financial shit. You know, if you have somebody in uh, bed with a Russian mafia for 30 years, it's good to know before you vote for it. Um, and I had the other thing, what was it? Oh yeah, that, that um, the politicians would get housing and a salary commensurate with the average wave and lifestyle of the people they represent. So they don't get to Washington, all of a sudden your, your value change because you're part of the elite and the rich, you get all this money coming in from all these, you know, packs and this and that and the other. No, they would, they would have to live and so that, that politics would be seen as a path of service. And it's, there's some lip service around there, but it's, it's really not. Again, it's just, just narcissistic awfulness, a spell that's on our country. So yeah, that would be three things. Make people reveal their finances, um, get rid of the electoral college, ridiculous, no longer appropriate, and, and have the, uh, the, our servants, the politicians that are there for service and make the takeaway that they find the big fancy houses, the big fancy salaries and the healthcare uh, policies that nobody else has, you know, let them live like the rest of us and see what it feels like so they can actually represent us. Awesome. There's some great answers. Mm -hmm.
Uh, John, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. And um, do you have any final thoughts or anything to say before we depart? It's very moving to be in conversation with such brilliant and uh, clear and noble young men. It does my heart good. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. It's been an honor. Thank you.